0: please be seated. Grab your Bibles. Open them up to the Gospel of Matthew chapter 10. Matthew chapter 10. If you don't have a Bible, please grab one from a seat close by in front of you. Gospel of Matthew chapter 10. If you don't own a Bible, please take that one home with you after the service. We continue as we began a couple of weeks ago, as we finished chapter 9, you'll remember that, that Jesus made a statement that was true then, is still true today. He said to his disciples that the, the harvest is plentiful. The harvest being the, those that are, that are out in the world, that are, that, are, that are walking around in desperate need of the gospel because they are, they are in a situation that is hopeless. They have no hope. They have no, they have no chance They are facing an eternity in hell, facing the wrath of God, away from the love of God forever, with no hope. They are ripe, the harvest is, for the gospel. But he said, in addition to the fact that the harvest is plentiful, he said that the workers are few. So he challenged them first to pray to diligently pray that God would raise up workers and that is same the same is true for us we are called to diligently pray for those same things but as we mentioned and as we see immediately on the heels of him telling them to pray it says that he chose 12 we need to understand that when we pray that we need to expect that he will lay it on us to understand that we are one of those workers, some of those workers that will be raised up. And then chapter 10 now is, as we've discussed, kind of this instruction manual on this discipleship training that he is giving them to send them out. We finished last week in verse 20, and our study today will focus on 21 and following, but I think we need to back up a few verses. Into verse, we'll start at verse 16, get a little running start if you would. Jesus said, Behold, I send you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. So be shrewd as serpents and innocent as doves. But beware of men, for they will hand you over to the courts and scourge you in their synagogues. And you will even be brought before governors and kings for my sake, as a testimony to them and to the Gentiles. But when they hand you over, do not worry about how or what you will say, for it will be given you in that hour what you are to say. For it is not you who speak, but it is the spirit of your father who speaks in you. Verse 21, brother will betray brother to death and father his child and children will rise up against parents and cause them to be put to death. You will be hated by all because of my name, but it is the one who has endured to the end who will be saved. But whenever they persecute you in one city, flee to the next. For truly I say to you, you will not finish going through the cities of Israel until the Son of Man comes. Again in verse 16, as a refresher from last week. He said, behold, I send you out as sheep amongst wolves. Being sent. Jesus is sending the sheep out into the midst of the wolves. And we said last week, thinking of that, that doesn't make sense. Sheep going out amongst wolves. But understand again that we are not going out as, as ourselves sheep. We are filled with the power of the Holy Spirit as we go out there. We are not being sent out into the slaughter, but we do need to understand we're sent out into the battle. It is a war that we are being sent out to. Ephesians tells us, however, that the battle is not against flesh and blood. It is against spiritual forces. We are going against the, the demonic, dark forces in the world. But one of the things that, again, I love about, about the Word of God is it tells us, and we, we, are, we come in these challenging times, the Word of God, as we look through it and we study it, we see things that encourage us in it. The Bible tells us that we are more than conquerors in Christ Jesus. There's a difference between conquerors and more than conquerors. Conquerors leave the battlefield victorious. More than conquerors enter the battlefield victorious. We go into the fight already having won because Jesus finished the work on the cross. He is victorious over sin and death. He won the battle. He won the war once for all. And so we have that as our assurance as we go forward. Behold, I send you out. But notice he says, beware. We need to be on guard and we need to understand he's not painting some rosy, perfect picture. There's difficulties, trials ahead. We talked last week, men, government, Church, even, will come against us if we stand truly for what the Bible says. Religious organizations, the governmental organizations will come against. And we see that already starting to to manifest itself in the world around us, even in the United States all around us now. But it takes on even a more personal tone for maybe many of us here today in verse 21 when it starts talking about family members, betraying, family members turning away. Maybe you have had that where since you have come to Christ and you have started living for him and you have started sharing the gospel, many in your family perhaps have pushed you away, made you feel on the outside, perhaps at work, sharing with friends, losing friendships, being passed over, those types of persecution that comes towards you for taking a stand for Jesus. Notice it says, that they will hand you over when you are handed over, will betray, you will be hated, they will persecute you. It's not a matter of if, it's a matter of when. Paul said to Timothy, Indeed, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Now granted, we do not face persecution yet today in America as many around the world do, our Christian brothers and sisters who lay down their very lives every day for the gospel. We don't face that type of persecution yet. I don't know how long it will be. I mean, there's certainly certainly writing on the wall, if you would, that those types of things are coming. But But again, we don't don't experience that. But I don't want to make light at all of the persecution that many do face in their job, in the workplace, and in their personal relationships. It's difficult. And Jesus does not sugarcoat it again. Look at the language he uses. Hand you over, betray, hate, persecute. We need to realize that some of the greatest times of revival in the church have come at some of the greatest times of persecution of the church. So often we run from these things and and would try to avoid them when we need to realize that God sometimes uses that in order to read the book of Acts. Study the history of the church when the the Romans were were persecuting the church and, and Christians were being executed by the tens of thousands and the church kept multiplying and multiplying. We mentioned last week that when the church faces great opposition. When we face great opposition to our faith, it provides for us a great opportunity. Jesus said, You will be hated by all because of me. The, the, world, in, the world in it at itself will come, will come against us in, in, in hatred because of that. But we need to understand that our, our role in that is not to fight back and 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 return that. We need to return with love. Because that world that hates us because of Jesus is the same world that the Father sent his only Son to die for. Again, as we've pointed out, and it's important to reiterate, those that come against us, that come against what we stand for, that come against the the Holy Word of God, are not the enemy. They are the harvest field. They are the ones that we have been called up to minister to. Great opposition, great opportunity, but notice in verse 22, there's a great obligation. Endurance. We must endure through the difficulties, through the trials, if, and if we are called to endure through persecution. It says it this way, but it is the one who has endured to the end who will be saved. Now, it's important we understand that, that endurance is not, I repeat, not part of of your salvation. Endurance is not our half of the equation when it comes to salvation. Whereas Jesus died, he did his part. Now our part is then to endure. That would be a work. That would be something that we could then boast in. That says, "Well, I endured, I made it through. I I I." That's a work. Bible tells us that we have been saved by grace through faith. It is a gift of God, not of works. No one may boast. So what is, what is being referred to here as far as endurance and in, in, in our salvation? Well, discipleship requires endurance, but endurance is predicated on faith. And if we look in the, gospel, or in the letter that James wrote, the epistle that James wrote, it says this, you're familiar, most of you, consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials, difficulties. as they they come to us. And persecution that we face certainly fits into that trial. He says, to consider it all joy when you face, again, when, not if, various trials. And that word various is an interesting word in the Greek. It means multifaceted or multicolored. Trials and difficulties that we face come in all shapes and sizes. Some extremely severe, others just possibly an annoyance or things that get in the way and trying to impede our progress in our walk. But we should count them all joy when we face them. And when we put it into the context of our text today, persecution, when people come against us, we need to even consider those things joy. Warren Wearsby, in speaking of this verse in James, he said, Our values determine our evaluations. If we value comfort more than character, then trials will upset us. If we value the material and physical more than the spiritual, we will not be able to count it all joy. If we live only for the present and forget about the future, then trials will make us bitter, not better. Joy is looking past the trial to the result of the trial and the ultimate reward. Looking past the current situation to what the situation will do in us now and ultimately our reward in heaven. Hebrews 12.2 tells us that fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross. Despising the shame, he sat down at the right hand of the Father. Jesus looked past the cross to the result of the cross. That is our redemption, our reconciliation with the Father and the reward seated at the right hand of the Father, and again with us ruling and reigning with him forever. Looking past that, he went through his trial alone so that we would never have to. We never have to face a trial, no matter how great or small, without him. He promised he will be with us through everything. Sometimes I think the greatest joy is getting closer to the source of all joy during our trials. Drawing closer to the the fountain of joy in Christ Jesus as we go through the difficulties. Now James tells us, consider it all joy, my brethren, and getting back to again what we're speaking of here as far as endurance, he gives us the result. Knowing, (laughs) verse 3, that the testing of your faith Produces endurance. And let endurance have its perfect results so that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. There is a, a process, but it comes out of faith, this endurance. James goes on, and if you've read the, the letter of James, you'll see he goes on to say and, and talk about faith. And he challenges everybody's individual faith by saying, faith without works is dead. Can that faith save you? A faith that is just, that is, that is just a, a statement, but with no fruit behind it. Not again that the works produce the faith, but does the faith produce. Similar to being able, again, to, to, place, to trust, you're, be able to trust your faith when, when things get tough and difficult a military sniper trained part of his training is the meticulous painstaking disassembling cleaning reassembling of his weapon continually firing that weapon over and over and over again in changing changing circumstances and conditions so that when the situation presents itself and his life is on the line or someone else's life is on the line. He can say, I have this weapon. I know it works. I can trust it totally. Now, my son, Zach, he's got, he's got some toy guns that actually look really real. And if you were in the next room when he's having a war going on in his room, you would sound, it sounds like there's a real war going on. But he's just playing soldier that that weapon can't save him and the same thing is what I, I try to say with this is that this 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 faith as we go through these difficulties the endurance that comes it proves that our faith is real Jesus spoke of of the parable of the sower where casting the seed and some fell on rocky ground and it grew up and it looked just like the other things that were growing up in the the good soil. But when the persecution came, when the sun beat down on it, it withered and fell away. We need to examine ourselves regularly. When, When persecution or severe trials come, do we say, man, this isn't worth it, I'm out of here. Persecution, severe persecution of the church, as I mentioned earlier, has been a catalyst most of the time for church growth because it gets rid of the, the weak part of the church. Those that, that have no real faith, they, they take off. They're the ones that say, man, I'm just playing soldier. I'm not, I'm not really in this. And then those that are left, then, then, then the church is multiplied through that. We can either say, man, this is too much for me. I'm getting out. Or as Peter said, when, when a lot of the disciples left, and Jesus said to the, the, the 12, he said, are you going to leave too? And Peter said, where else are we going to go? You have the words of eternal life. There is nowhere else to go. We go through these, t- these trials and the testing of our faith, and there is great comfort in it because we, when we get through that process, our faith is stronger do trials produce faith? No. The Bible said faith comes by hearing, hearing by the Word of God. Trials don't, don't produce faith, but the testing of our faith produces endurance. That brings us back to the the point we're making here, those that endure to the end. As our faith is tested, it becomes stronger, it produces endurance. That word in the Greek, hupomone, which is a compound word, it means to be able to abide under, to be able to hold the weight. The object of the trials is our faith. The purpose of our trials is to make our faith stronger. Mentioned Hebrews 12.2 a moment ago. Hebrews 12.3 says, For consider him who has endured such hostility against himself so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Consider him, speaking of the Lord Jesus, who has endured such hostility by sinners against himself. He's not asking us to go through anything that he didn't go through. The hostility that came against him from the sinful world, we should expect that and we should endure Through it. Verse 24 in Matthew 10, Jesus continues and says, A disciple is not above his teacher, nor a slave above his master. It is enough for the disciples that the disciple that he become like his teacher and the slave like his master. If they have called the head of the house Beelzebub, how much more will they malign the members of his household? We should not be surprised. When the world gets it all backwards, gets it completely wrong, totally, totally misses, it, misses everything. He says this is going to happen. I, I, I'm sure you have heard it. I'm sure you've heard the quotes and, and, and the people that are in total agreement when people start talking about, they, they paint Christians as one of the biggest threats to society, I mean, it, it's, it's amazing how more and more, and this is just continuing to spread. And it's not just the, it's not the church as a whole. I mean, everybody's okay with that. No, it's the, the fundamental biblical Christianity. We stand on the word of God, what it says, all of it. People look at that as the, one of the greatest threats, probably on par with ISIS, that the world faces. And those that say, love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself, we can't have those around. You know, <laughs> got to get rid of them. But again, Jesus said, that shouldn't surprise us when we really think of it. I mean, God himself stepped out of heaven, became one of us, lived a perfect, sinless life. And what did they do? They maligned him. They called him. They called him Beelzebub, which is the. It's a Philistine god, the god, of, Lord of the flies, Lord of the stench. The, you know, the rotting things that attract flies. That, that's the god that Beelzebub is so disgusted. The Jews that they would use that name to refer to Satan. So when they're calling Jesus Beelzebub, they are calling him Satan. Amazing, and we know that they go on to to murder our Lord. Jesus said, you're not above your master. And our desire, our very heart, is to be like our master, to be like our king. As Christians, it should be the desire in every one of our hearts to be like Jesus in every way. And and that that can that that's that's easy to say. Is man, I just I want to be like him in all of the good things, but it goes beyond that. When when we when we follow him more and we desire that 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 relationship with him even more, we desire to be like him. We come to this realization as Paul did. And Philippians chapter three verses seven through eleven, when he speaks of what what he used to have, he counted all his garbage. J.B. Phillips, and I'm going to read from his translation of this. It's a little different wording in it, but it, it kind of brings out a little flavor in it. Again, Philippians chapter 3, Paul writing, it says, Yet every advantage that I had gained, I consider loss for Christ's sake. Yes, and I look upon everything as loss compared with the overwhelming gain of knowing Jesus Christ my Lord. For his sake, I did in fact actually suffer the loss of everything. But I consider it useless rubbish compared with being able able to win Christ. For now my place is in Him, and I am not dependent upon any of the self achieved righteousness of the law. God has given me the genuine righteousness which comes from faith in Christ. How changed are my ambitions? Now I long to know Christ and the power shown by His resurrection. Now I long to share his sufferings, even to die as he died, so that I may perhaps attain as he did the resurrection from the dead. When we pursue the Lord with all that we have, the Bible says, well, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. He will give you the desire to be like Jesus and we need to understand that that is all in for him and all that that means including the suffering the persecution jesus said in luke 6:40 everyone who is fully trained will be like his teacher will be treated as his teacher second timothy we already said it 3:12 indeed all who desire to live godly in christ jesus will be persecuted now not going to ask for a show of hands. Does that bother anybody? Does that, Does that stir a little bit? I mean it, I, I can't imagine that that excites most people that part. You know what? God understands. God understands that feeling. We're not supposed to go out and look to be persecuted. That's not the point. But he understands our reaction as well to this tough instruction (laughs) that he's giving us here. He goes on in verse 26. Therefore, because of all of this, knowing that our natural reaction would be fear to this, he says, therefore, do not fear them, for there is nothing concealed that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be known. What I tell you in the darkness, speak in the light. And what you hear whispered in your ear, proclaim upon the housetops. Do not fear. He says it once here. He's going to say it two more times in the following couple of verses, as we'll see. I I remember when we were studying through the, the book of Joshua on our Wednesday night midweek study as we go through the Old Testament, it was the first time that I had, I had noticed it, that four times in Joshua chapter one, four times, God said to Joshua, be strong and courageous. Why did he have to say it four times? Because he's not naturally strong and courageous. And that's Joshua. The leader of the Israelite army had to be told to be strong and courageous because our natural reaction is fear. Fear. Our natural reaction isn't to run headlong into these things, and God understands that. He says it three times, do not fear. And he tells us, he gives us reason not to fear as he continues to speak. As he spoke to to Joshua in one of the times, he says, don't fear, don't tremble, don't be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. And we have that promise. And the God who is with us wherever we go, it says that will reveal everything. Nothing will be concealed. He will reveal everything. Nothing will be hidden that will not be made known. God knows everything. He is aware of every specific detail about every situation that is occurring. He knows every thought, he knows every action, he knows every word, he knows every intent and all will be made, all will be revealed. Now that should, as Christians, give us great comfort that God knows everything. He knows everything that you're going through. He understands every emotion that you're feeling. That should bring us great comfort. But we all probably check it every once in a while with that, oh, you mean he knows everything? He knows that thought I was just thinking a little bit ago? <laughs> yeah. He knows what I did last week, yes. He knows what I said, yes. But you know what? There's great comfort in that too. Because as we go through those things, and as we we sin, as we continue to as Christians, we have the Holy Spirit in us that convicts us of our sin. That is evidence that we are saved. If If we go through those things and we are stirred by that, It shouldn't cause us great panic. It should say, all right, Lord, I'm sorry. Repentance is a beautiful word. We repent. The Bible says that we confess our sin. God is faithful to cleanse us from all our sin. But with regards to, back in our text here, nothing concealed that won't be revealed. There is a day of reckoning that is coming. Those that are enemies of God, those that are coming against us. There's a day that is coming when the truth will be fully revealed. And he says, therefore, because of that, don't fear. Don't fear the persecutors. Peter put it this way, but even if you should suffer for the sake of righteousness, you are blessed. And do not fear their intimidation and do not be troubled, but sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts, Always being ready to make a defense to everyone who asks you to give an account for the hope that is in you, yet with gentleness and reverence. Another step in this do not fear process is to sanctify, that means to set apart Christ as Lord in your hearts. Christ as Lord, that means He's in charge. He calls the shots. If He says go, you go. If He says do this, do it. He's in charge in your hearts, not in your minds, and this isn't an intellectual thing, this is an all-in, I surrender, God, you're it. I follow you, Jesus, wherever you go. And then always be ready to make a, a defense. That word their defense, is the Greek word apologia. That does not mean apology. We don't apologize for what we believe. Apologia is where we get our word apologetics, which, again, isn't an apology, it's a defense, To be able to tell why we believe what we believe. If somebody asks you, why do you believe that Jesus is the Son of God? We should be able to explain that. Why do you believe what you believe? We should be able to go to the Word of God and tell them. We should be able to give them the personal example in our life. How God has changed us. Always be ready. But notice it says, with gentleness and reverence. Sometimes that's the hardest part. I don't know about you, but at times with me, when I get some smart aleck guy that wants to pop off about, you know, something, my response is to hit him back with some kind of smart aleck response, kind of a tit for tat thing, and my, my goal is to come away smarter than him, or sound smarter anyway. Guys, we never lose sight of the fact that our goal is never to win an argument, It is always to win a soul. And if that means showing humility and letting them see Christ in us through that humility, again, not making an apology, but not having to argue back and forth, but just simply sharing the truth, sharing what God's done in your life with gentleness and reverence, Paul put it this way, the Lord's bondservant must not be quarrelsome, but be kind to all, able to teach, patient when wronged, with gentleness correcting those who are in opposition, if perhaps God may grant them repentance. That's the goal. Leading to the knowledge of the truth. And they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil, having been held captive by him to do his will. Not quarrelsome not looking for a fight, kind, patient, gentle, able to teach, able to share what God has given to you, able to share what God has shared with you, what he has whispered to you, Proclaim from the rooftops, whispered to you, those things that he has personally given you in your life. Those times in your personal, quiet, devotional time with the Lord as he has spoken to your heart how he has blessed you, how he has comforted you. Comfort others with the comfort you have received. Those times of just intimate worship when it's just you and the Lord and he's just placed something on your heart that has so blessed you. Bless others with that. Correcting with gentleness. Again, not apologizing. We're not making concessions to give an account for the hope that is in you. Tell your story. Again, they can argue all they want with their so-called facts, but they can't argue with your story. They can't argue with what Jesus did for you. And when we do that with the right heart, we can look them right in the eye and say, man, I was once just like you. I was once in your place. I know how you feel, because I was there. I have hope now. Let me tell you about it. Verse 28. Do not fear those who kill the body, but are unable to kill the soul, but rather fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a cent, and yet not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. But the very hairs of your head are all numbered. So do not fear. You are more valuable than many sparrows. Again, we see this here. Do not fear. Two more times. Do not fear. Now, we all have been given, it's, it's, it's a gift, <laughs> a, a, uh, a healthy fear. I mean, we're, we have a healthy fear of lions. I mean, that's good. <laughs> we're not going to walk up and, and try to pet one. I mean, those the, that's a healthy fear. That's not what's being referred to here. The word here is phobia, which is where we get the word phobia from. It's a fear that terrifies. It causes one to, to flee because of the terror that they have. It's that Deer in the headlights thing. Fear paralyzes. When a deer is caught in the headlights, it freezes. And if it does move, it panics and runs in another direction. We have not been given, as Christians, a spirit of phobia, of that fear. But we have been given a spirit of power, love, and a sound mind. The only thing we have to fear is... God Himself. Some of you walked into it. <laughs> Charles Spurgeon said that there is no cure for the fear of man quite like the fear of God. When we again come to that realization of who God is, all powerful, almighty, creator God. And we fear and reverence him. We give him the honor that he is due and the place he is due in our lives as king, as Lord. The fear of man moves away. Again, he is always with us. The author of Hebrews. For he himself has said, I will never desert you, nor will I ever forsake you so that we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper, I am not afraid. What will man do to me? (laughs) What can man do to me with God on my side? I love the lyrics to that song. I know who goes before me. I know who stands behind. The God of angel armies is always on my side. Fear paralyzes, but focus energizes. When we focus on eternity when we focus on heaven, it frees us up. We're not paralyzed by the fear of the moment. We're energized by what is awaiting us in heaven. As Paul said, this momentary light affliction is nothing compared to the weight of glory that awaits us in heaven. As Christians, we know the end. We win. We know what eternity means for us. We will rule and reign forever with Jesus. When when we take our last breath in this body, we are present with the Lord. What's the worst thing our enemy could do to us? Speed up that process? So, Jesus says, do not fear those who could kill the body. Because you are a child of God. And as a child of God, he has personal knowledge of you. Creator God, almighty God, has personal knowledge of you. The text says, Jesus said, that every hair on your head is numbered. Now, that that might be something you could just gloss over real quickly, but what is being stated there is that he has not only just general knowledge of you, but he has intimate knowledge of you and current knowledge of you. The average head of hair contains 140,000 hairs. Now, that's average, so some of you have a lot more. 140,000. But do you know that every time you take a shower, that number changes? Some fall out. Every time you brush your hair, some falls out. God has current knowledge of you. He knows how many exactly right now. He has current knowledge of everything you're going through. Every emotion. When when, when life takes those drastic turns, he's right there. He knows. He doesn't need you to bring him up to speed. He's ahead of it. But you know something else, and I, I love this this part of this. It says every hair on your head is numbered, not counted. What's the difference? Well, if you want to know how many how many peanuts are in this in a jar, you count them. You don't number them, do you? Probably not. <laughs> Numbering them means they each have a number. So when you brush your hair, that was number 126,412. <laughs> Intimate knowledge. Right down to the very details. The smallest of details. I mean, it would, it would bless me enough if God knew my name. Because I know how hard it is to remember names. And forgive me, please, when I forget your name at times. He knows not only my name, he knows not only your name, but the very hairs on your head, they're all numbered. That's how personally he cares for you. He says sparrows. He says, are not two of them sold for a penny? The original buy one, get one free deal. You can get two sparrows for a penny. I mean, that's how little we value them. But not God. He values them so much that not one of those birds die without his knowledge. That amazes me. And he says, you far more. You're worth way more than many sparrows. See, not only does he have a personal knowledge of you, he has a passionate love for you. Because he didn't send his son to die for the sparrows. He sent his son to die for you and me. Now that's amazing enough as we, if we just stop there, but I want you to think about something for a second. What do sparrows do? Sparrows do exactly what they were created to do. He didn't die for them. He died for the only part of creation, that refuses to do what we were created to do. That that blows me away. Cuz it says that he demonstrates his own love towards us that while we were yet sinners Christ died for us. In the midst of our rebellion against him he died for us. That's his love. And with a God like that on our side, what do we have to fear? We've arranged the, the service this morning to put a couple of songs now in worship as we prepare for, for communion. But I'd like to say that, that to anyone here that's here this morning that, that has never surrendered your life to Jesus, you've never trusted in him, Alone, You've never made that commitment. And the Holy Spirit is working in you now that I I would ask that you don't put this off. You maybe have been coming to church. Maybe your whole family is Christians. Maybe you've been a part of this this body for a while. Maybe you read your Bible all the time or, or pray, but you know because the Lord is speaking to you through His Spirit in your heart right now. You've never made that commitment to Him. That right now as we all as we, as we pray and we prepare our hearts for worship and communion, that you would just simply recognize that fact. See, see salvation is a moment-in-time experience. When you come to the realization that you are a sinner, you have sinned against a holy and righteous God, and you, you acknowledge that fact, and you acknowledge that there's nothing you can do to save yourself, you can't do more good to offset your bad, and you repent. Repent. That means to turn from your sin, to turn to Jesus, and you receive the free gift of his salvation. Don't leave here today without doing that. Would you please pray with me as the worship team comes up?